welcome everybody to the Sack Attack Fantasy Football Podcast and the Fantasy Football Advocate Podcast. Today I am with Advocate and just want to say one thing real quick. Uh, rest in peace my Bears fans after that terrible game. Uh, I can't believe the Vikings actually beat you guys, but um, uh, I feel like we have lots of slander to get to, so we'll just go right into it. Alright, so what slander do we want to cover first? Let's cover the tight end slander first, I think. Honestly, what what is there to talk about with this tight end group? Like, with Kelsey out, there was legitimately not an option on the, like, in the entire spectrum. The highest tight end score was 13 in PPR. It's ridiculous. Should never happen. Right. No, and honestly, it's gotten to the point where it's so bad where the best strategy if you don't have somebody who normally gets targets is to just pick a tight end from a high-scoring game and hope he gets a touchdown. Because we all know you're not going to get a touchdown from a tight end in a game like the uh like the Texans Browns game where there was like 17 total points. You need a high-scoring game. So that's what that's honestly what you have to look for now is Tight end, high score game, hope he gets a touchdown, and if you do, he can maybe crack the top 10 in points for you. You know, I would, I would completely agree with that, but I will point out one thing. I will point out if you if you, if you you want to, try to acquire Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, because, or George Kittle at a very low price, because that's all, that's, those are the, legitimately the only four guys that we can definitely say can be started week by week. And I think you could agree with that in the sense of those four are the only ones that we can guarantee ourselves that they have at least upside and a floor to be a tight end one, like to finish as a tight end one for the week. Otherwise, you're looking at guys like, let's say, Austin Hooper, who have a floor of two targets, and we thought that floor would be higher. Or a guy like Darren Fells, who one week scores 17 and the next week scores zero, depending on the matchup, which makes no sense. Like, that's how bad this tight end position is. And I, we're going to be quite honest. If you're in an ESPN league, you might want to consider Taysom Hill. Right. Um, yeah, one thing that everybody needs to consider is the fact that Bean's tight ends have been so garbage this year that next year... I'm actually, myself, probably going to be advocating for spending like a top three, four, or five pick on a tight end and not waiting because I it, it's gotten to the point where I just like the convenience of knowing I have something tight end versus just praying for a touchdown, which it, the position doesn't score a whole lot of points anyway, except at the top. So if I can get a solid guy at the top, I would much rather have that than, than be praying to get like three points from a tight end and then lose games because of that, personally. You no, know, I, I 100% agree with that. And, like, I would be willing to draft Travis Kelsey near the 1-2 turn for next year because, I mean, if you're looking at how the 0 RB and the 0 wide receiver have kind of formed out in, like, this um, this year, we've kind of seen that the 0 RB strategy really could have worked for a lot of people. I mean, if you look at it this way, if you were a zero RB guy, you probably have James Robinson. You probably have Miles Gaskin. You probably have some sort of Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, someone in that back end that has been producing for you. And you really didn't spend a single, like you spent a sixth round pick on DeAndre Swift or a, a sixth rounder on Antonio Gibson. 
but you were be, you were able to grab those wide receivers and you were probably able to grab a tight end or a quarterback. So you have Kelsey, you have three solid wide receivers, and now you have James Robinson, who's a top five running back. I don't know about you, but zero RB strategy guys are ecstatic in terms of this year. Right. No, I actually agree with that. So we've seen tons of options on the waiver wire, tons of options to buy low into certain running backs. And honestly, it's pretty feasible. Now, I myself next year probably am not going all into a zero RB strategy, but I am heavily considering it. I'm not going to give away too much yet because it's 2020 and the next year season is a year away. So I can't tell you exactly what I'm going to advocate for, but a a zero RB light kind of option is probably something that I would actually consider next year. And basically what I mean by that is you is you take one good elite running back within the first two rounds and then you load up on three or four receivers or three receivers and a tight end. So your first your first five picks are going to be one running back, a tight end and three running backs or a running back and four receivers. And then you're going to go into that into the into the year with a really good running back, a great core of elite wide receivers, and then you're just going to kind of wait around and hope to secure some of the guys that we've mentioned this year to acquire versions of them next year and play them as an RB2 while having both your starting two wide receivers and your flex likely set up and possibly even the tight end, which is a huge advantage positionally because of the fact that you can get these 10 plus point games where everybody else is just hoping to get those. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree with that. And I'm going to ask you a few questions because we're going to put in perspective for the viewer, for the guys who are listening to this podcast, uh, like just how much we believe that tight ends are positionally advantaged if you have one of those top guys. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I think you agree with me on this. You would rather have Travis Kelsey than Julio Jones, correct? Right now, this season, yes, I would. Uh, Travis Kelsey, compared to the rest of the options, has been far and away better than Julio Jones compared to the rest of his options. Sure, Julio Jones is playing well, and he plays the receiver position. The only problem, though, is you can find receivers on the waiver wire. It's obviously much harder than running backs, to say, but you're not finding tight ends on the waiver wire. It's next to impossible. Sure, you can find one week... Week to week, you could find one, but season long, you're not finding a top five tight end on the waiver wire. They were they were already drafted, or they just weren't good at all to begin with. And yeah, no, that, that's exactly what we would point out. And the thing we'll say with that is, you could try to take a shot on a guy like Austin Hooper, who disappointed this week, or a guy like Jordan Reed, who had a actually solid game. And we've put in waiver wires, Hooper and Reed is probably the two guys that we've kind of pointed out other than Goddard. And, and then Hill. Goddard's now getting himself into a mess with Ertz and Rodgers. So now we just have a complete, just a complete shell there. Yeah, no. And that's going to be tough to overcome. So realistically speaking, if you're able, like let's say you're in a smaller league and you can easily get a guy off the waiver wire that's going to produce for you like a T. Higgins, someone like that, for example it's well worth the investment to go get a guy like Travis Kelsey because just having Kelsey over the rest of the pack, although Waller's good, don't get us wrong, but Waller uh, Waller and Hawkinson are in a separate tier, like a complete lower tier. If you can get a Travis Kelsey, that is going to be the number one positional advantage for you when it comes to the playoffs and the championship. 
Right. So here's how you have to look at it, right? When you're drafting in the offseason, you're, you're, what your main focus is is you're like, oh, I'm just trying to get the best players. Well, here's here's what I've started to look at, and it's something that for some odd reason nobody seems to think of during the end season, or, or not really in the end season, but until you're in the season, is how replaceable is a position week to week. QBs. QBs are easily streamable. And we see the top tier guys fail consistently on a consistent basis. And the mid and late round guys uh, explode. Uh, A couple of examples. Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray were not top three round picks. They were five, six, seven round picks. Uh, Late round wide, or not late round wide receivers, but QBs. We have seen them in certain weeks play well. And it's honestly pretty predictable to tell based on matchups. Kickers and defenses, they they don't score a ton of points. So week by week, it's easy to tell based on Vegas odds, matchups, uh, injury reports, etc. Easily replaceable. You don't have to spend elite money or capital or a draft position to get them. And then I also believe that tight end is the hardest. And this is why I, next year, am probably going to advocate and will likely take elite tight ends quite a bit, is in the, on the waiver wire, you are not getting a week-in, week-out startable tight end. You can try, but it's very hard. It's a lot harder than it is with an elite QB, and it's the same reason why I would advocate elite tight end over an elite QB. And then with running backs versus receivers, every week, week in and week out on, if you were to follow my page, advocates page, or literally anybody, normally the top waiver pickups are always running backs. Every week there are one, two, or three running backs that either are getting an increased workload as of recently due to injuries, poor performance by the starter, etc. So running backs aren't necessarily like on the waiver wire, they're like super easy to replace. You can get startable options, but they're not normally at the same level as the top tier guys you're drafting. So whenever you look at everything in perspective, right? Uh, tight ends are next to impossible to get. It's possible, but it's next to impossible. It's very hard. You'd have to be super lucky to get it. Uh, you can get start-worthy QBs, defenses, and kickers without barely trying. And running backs, if you are able to have good waiver priority or spend enough fab dollars, you can get them pretty decently. It's the same deal with wide receivers. When I look at all the positions, a tight end is the only one that stands out to me that is incredibly hard to get a start startable option on the waiver wire. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And I'll also point out this. Like, when we looked at tight ends going into this year, we kind of thought it was a good amount of depth. Like, when we thought about it in the spectrum of, like, in comparison to the year prior, the year prior was awful. But we look at it this year with a little bit of optimism. We had guys like, we had Kelsey, we had Waller, Ertz, all these guys, right? Even Hayden Hurst, Chris Herndon, Tyler Higby, and just none of them. I mean, none of them have panned out. Like, other than Kelsey, and obviously Kittle got hurt due to injury, otherwise he would be there too. Like, the only guys that have really proven their draft status was TJ Hawkinson. Right, him, and then you can also make a case for Dallas Goddard. But again, most of the time, these two players were drafted in most leagues, and they were not available on the waiver wire. Where guys like J- uh, Jalen Rager or T. Higgins 
or, or Justin, uh, Jefferson Justin, Justin Jefferson. These guys were so low owned that they were available in waiver wires. When you just look at the sheer numbers of startable tight ends that you can get throughout the waiver wire on a yearly basis and receivers, even even accounting for the fact that, say, you would start three times as many receivers, you just see a much higher abundance of wide receivers to pick through than tight ends. And the difference yep. between tight end elite tight end starters and the rest is significant because, like I said, if you don't have a top five option, you're basically hoping that this guy can catch like five catches or get a touchdown. It's that bad. Certain teams just utilize tight ends as a focal point in their offense. Others is just like an afterthought, kind of like the Carolina or not Carolina, the uh, Cardinals running back sometimes. Yeah, and I would agree with that. And then I'm gonna like kind of sh- like prove what we were saying with in terms of the tight ends that we kind of drafted at their draft slots. I mean, Johnny Smith had seven fantasy points, but he it was carried by one touchdown. Uh, I'm trying to think of guys we had also. Mark Andrews had seven receptions for 61 yards, which was the best out of the group. Mike Kosicki had only 40 receiving yards. We kind of drafted him up high as well. Tyler Higby is getting played by Gerald Everett. Um, Evan Ingram had two receptions for 15 yards. Like These were guys, and even TJ Hawkinson, a guy that a lot of us were really high on now. And a lot of us had as our number one tight end this week was two receptions for 13 yards. So this tight end group is not something you want to do. And if you're able to go get a Waller for a relatively good price or a Kelsey, we would highly recommend it if you are one of those t- uh, if you're one of those teams that we wouldn't say you're struggling, but like if you're getting near the playoffs and you know your tight end is going to be your downfall of your team, take that risk. Go try to get Travis Kelsey because in reality, you're still going to have guys like Jalen Rager or guys on your bench like a Brandon Cooks, like a Deontay Johnson, guys like that who you kind of drafted later and probably may not even be starting, guys who you can plug and play instead of having that big loophole at the tight end slot. And when it comes to playoffs and championship, you're going to need every last upgrade at each position. Right. The way I'm looking at it right now is I would rather, say, hold off on my wide receiver three or my RB2 and instead have the solid option at tight end, and then just use the waiver wire to acquire those options in the season. I feel like if you are active and you you get some trades going and stuff like that, you can easily fix your problem. Whereas with tight end, it is so much more difficult. And in order to get one, you're likely going to have to trade for them. So in order to avoid that whole headache, just draft one in the draft. And you know, if he gets injured, that's part of life. You you can't we can't really predict injuries and such like that but the best thing you can do is set yourself up for an advantage heading into the season and if you are active and outwork your opponents i think drafting a tight end early is easily the smartest one of the smartest strategies you can you can implement absolutely and uh, we'll go ahead and move right into another topic and we're, we're going to cover this one really quick but um we're going to talk about the Browns-Texans game and for two reasons the the only two reasons why we would ever co- uh, cover this game one is the more interesting uh, is a more interesting case with the the Kareem Hunt Nick Chubb or not dilemma but like the way they're they're gonna play together. But let's first talk about this. Do you agree with Nick Chubb stepping out on the one yard line to ice the game, or would you have scored the touchdown? I mean, here's how we have to look at this. 
NFL, as much as we want NFL players to care about fantasy football, the sad reality is that most of them do not. And Nick Chubb is not going to pad his stats and make us fantasy owners happy whenever he can pretty much guarantee his team a win. That's just my thoughts. Todd Gurley tried to do the same thing and desperately failed. Uh, but, you know, Nick Chubb is better than Todd Gurley. So all, all things equal out. Yeah, he's actually a good player. And by the way, uh, if there's if you notice one clear difference, it's that the counselor definitely recommended one and definitely didn't recommend the other. Oh, but, but yeah, no. In, like, obviously, a lot of us were hurt by the Nick Chubb, like not scoring that touchdown. I ended up losing uh, a, a league, not a league, but a game off of uh, Nick Chubb not scoring. I ended up losing by four. At the end of the day, you're completely right in this saying that most of these players never played fantasy and don't care about fantasy. They just care about getting their teams to win and playing the best they can and playing for the team. So in reality, it's smart for Nick Chubb to go down at the one-yard line. So you got to look at it like that. But I'm very happy with how this Browns backfield looks. And I don't know about you, but I personally think Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are must-starts for the rest of the season, especially with how good their schedule is coming up. I completely agree. So one, uh, I'm just going to touch on the counselor a little bit more. So his deal is basically he hates running backs that are in committees or timeshares. Now, the Browns here, along with the Saints back in a couple years ago, are prime examples that committees, if used properly, are not a bad thing. And they're not something where you're like, oh, completely avoid them because of a committee that kind of thinking is very shallow minded and dumb uh no chubb and hunt both had 19 rush attempts in this game okay let's face it one of those running backs isn't just all of a sudden if one didn't exist gonna get 38 carries they may get 25 but they're not gonna get 38 so in in all at in all teams in football, there is going to be backup running backs who steal some work. You can't really avoid it some more than others, but it's actually not always a bad thing because there is lower injury risks with each running back in a committee because of just overall the less snaps that they play. And whenever they are on the field, sometimes they get utilized more in different ways that are actually more efficient. So it's not something you need to worry about as long as the players are actually getting the touches when they're on the field so you know i i completely agree with that and i i will say this yet you touched it they combined for 38 carries but like realistically they both got 19 carries i wouldn't call this a committee i just call it a one-two punch that they know that they whenever they feel that one person's going to excel more in a drive or if this if the series is going well they're gonna keep on rolling with that running back Obviously, Nick Chubb had the better rushing day, which he normally, for the most part, does. But Kareem Hunt does has like a slight bit of receiving work. And in reality, I, I don't know about you, but in my rest of the season rankings, I have Nick Chubb at 9 and I have Kareem Hunt at 12. Both at wide receiver 1 value. And if people are scared off by the 1-2 punch, in reality, when they're working together, they, they're, they're going to average around 35 to 38 rushes together a game. Kareem Hunt's going to have some receiving volume. And Nick Chubb will have a slight bit as well so in reality you're looking at both of these guys are going to be fed the ball and because baker's having his uh um he's having his accuracy issues uh throughout this year and really you're looking at where he feeds off the play action at this point so they have to get the run game going and if they can with both 
they're able to thrive. So I think this, this Browns team, especially with a lighter run schedule, they're both of them are going to be RB1s moving forward. Right. No, I completely agree. So one thing that we have to notice is, sure, a committee really hurts players on a pass-heavy team, but that is the complete opposite of what the Browns are. And this is something I touched on on a post that I made on Instagram earlier. Um, if I can find it real quick. Um, actually, never mind. But yeah, basically, uh, I'll just I'll just go into it. Uh, Kevin Stefanski was the Minnesota Vikings uh, offensive coordinator last year on one of the most run-heavy teams in football last year. I believe it was them and the Seahawks who were top two. When you take the head coach from the Minnesota, or not the head coach, the offensive coordinator from the Minnesota Vikings and put him on the Browns, you you can, you should only expect that there's going to be overall more rushing attempts and more of a rushing um a rush heavy run to pass run ratio uh on the offense and we can look at that uh Baker's stat line pretty much proves it he only had to attempt to throw the ball 20 times uh both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both got 19 carries so they were they whenever the Browns feel like they have a win that they should at least be closer or pretty manageable they're gonna run the ball all the time because there's no reason not to you have both Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt who are some of the most talented running backs in the game and you can just split the workload 50-50 and have them take breaks and by doing that you reduce their injury risk and they actually play more efficient on a per play basis normally because of those rests yeah, no, 100%. And uh, we're going to keep on talking about RBs. And I kind of want to introduce a new, uh, we could keep on doing the series uh, like each week. But I'm going to cover some of the, the more impressive games at the running back position and then some of the disappointing games. And we're both going to tell you guys whether we expect this to continue or is it something that is kind of a one-off game and we can go back on. Obviously, we need to think of a name for this. We're kind of just, I'm kind of just free falling off the top of my head. But uh, you could guys can let us know if we have a name for that. But uh, we're going to go ahead and start it off with, uh, I think, the, one of the more polarizing ones, and that is Ronald Jones. So do you th expect this to continue, or is this something that is a one-off thing? Um, <clears throat> I myself, I'm expecting it to probably kind of stay the same as it has been this week. I don't see any reason why I think it should change. Overall, they're, they, they both... Um, are talented. Ronald Jones and, and uh, Leonard Fournette both are getting work. And the reasoning for that is because the Buccaneers both feel like they are talented enough to deserve the football in their hands. Let's just face it. Uh, LaShawn McCoy and Keyshawn Vaughn are not getting the ball for a reason. It's because they aren't near as good as Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette are. Now, Ronald Jones seems to be more uh, electric with the ball, in my opinion, and I think Ronald Jones should obviously get more work, but that's just the cold hard facts is that with Bruce Arians as their head coach, this is something that we don't normally expect. I have expected a workhorse running back throughout uh, for the Bucks this season, but it doesn't look like that's the case. When both have been healthy, they both seem to get touches, and I don't see it changing unless there's injuries. Yeah, and uh, I will point something out. This game was a big game in terms of fantasy points for Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones ended up having 24 fantasy points, 192 rushes or rushing yards on the ground. And that's where I kind of will say 
don't expect this to happen again. While this was, it was the highest snap count for Ronald Jones in terms of Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette, but Fournette kind of struggled in this game for the most part. Ronald Jones really thrived after the fumble and had a 98 yard run. So I think this goes closer really back to, I wouldn't say, um, I would say a committee obviously, but like it'll go a little bit more down. Obviously Ronald Jones still needs to have, or needs to gain trust in Bruce Arian's scheme. I think this will go near back to a 50 50 and Leonard Fournette will still have the passing work. So we can't expect Ronald Jones to be a startable option almost every week. As a matter of fact, in most rankings, you'll see Leonard Fournette actually higher than Ronald Jones still. And that's that's going to stay the same because we're probably going to still be a 50-50. But Ronald Jones ended up taking the lead role in this in this game because after that 98-yard run, he kept on getting more trust from Bruce Arians in this game. So I think this is a one-off thing. And uh, we'll go and move right on next into, um, we'll go and move on into Jonathan Taylor. Do we expect this to stay the same with how bad he's been playing and we slander him more? Or is this something that we can maybe see improve? What do you think? I mean, I would like to be the guy who is an optimist and be like, hey, you know what? Why can't Jonathan Taylor improve? But the, the truth of the matter is, is that I don't know what happened, but somehow I believe the coaching staff has lost a ton of trust in Jonathan Taylor. And that's why we see we saw uh, Naheem Hines on Thursday night go absolutely crazy and had a really great fantasy day. I really don't see this changing soon. And if I'm a Jonathan Taylor owner, I am pretty scared. And I would say to sell him if you can, although you're not going to get much. Um, you're. It's pretty much just a lose-lose situation. If you try to sell him, you're not going to get much. If you hold him, you're just going to be disappointed every time you you can even can think of the possible chance that you start him. Uh, there's he's basically just a curse. That's all I have to say. Yeah, and uh, well, <laughs> I am the headquarters of Jonathan Taylor slander, so I will say this: Sl- uh, <laughs> the slander will not it will not stop. He is the third lowest on the snap count once again, and as a matter of fact. Naheem Hines had more rushes than both him and Wilkins Not combined, but it was like it was thir- it was 15 to 12. Naheem Hines had 12. Has never had that much in his career. Like it, it, you know it's bad when you're getting beat by a full like full receiving back. Naheem Hines is not a running back by any means. He is just a wide receiver in the running back form and he's just there to catch pass uh, passes. But I don't expect that to continue. I think Jonathan Taylor probably still see, see a 30% snap count because you, you saw 20 in this one. But in reality, this is very scary. And if you have a if you have Taylor, I recommend holding him because you really can't get anything for him, and especially if your trade deadline has passed. I know a lot of guys had their trade deadline last week. Most of my leagues are, are this week or the next week after. So if you have Taylor, I would just hold him and hope for the best because he does have a relatively weak schedule coming up just hope that he can take over because in reality his issues are something that we didn't expect really to be issues he's just not not trusting his blocks he's not fighting for extra yards he's he's trying to freelance too much and we've seen this a lot with some of these rookie running backs and it really needs to improve in in terms of dynasty i don't know how to feel about him i might go buy him in a league because i feel the potential is there 
it's not something where I'm going out at, earlier on before when Mac got hurt. I was paying multiple first round picks to go get this guy. Like that's just not the same. Uh, and then we'll go ahead and mention another running back, and that is DeAndre Swift. And I'll go ahead and start off on this one. I love Swift, and I'm so glad that he finally broke out of this committee. And I think this is here to stay. My rest of the season rank for him is running back 14. And like his schedule is very weak coming up in terms of running the football. And if he gets 70% snap count and as many opportunities as he got, I am a huge fan of him moving forward. I have him up in a lot of leagues, and he is starting for me. And I love where this is going with him. Right. No, actually, I agree with that completely. I'm glad to see that Swift actually is taking control of the backfield. Uh, None of us really like to see committees. I know I literally just said that there's nothing to worry about with committees. But again, that's with like teams that utilize them both. Uh, This was not the case with Detroit. Matt Patricia was just trying to copy Bill Belichick and just force four running backs to get the work and basically split up the touches where none of them were worth anything and basically ruined every one of their fantasy value. Uh, But now that DeAndre Swift has clearly led the team in snap count, fantasy points, and looks to be the clearly the best and most talented option in the backfield hopefully Matt Patricia does not screw this up that's all we are hoping for is that now that we see and now that I think he is finally possibly seen that DeAndre Swift is the best running back suited for 20 plus carries in the offense that he will give him at least 15 a game at the very minimum we that's all we're asking for is just give him a consistent workload of 15 touches I don't care whether it's in the pass game, the run game, or whatever. We just want to see 15 touches out of DeAndre Swift, and we'll be happy. However, I, yeah, I, I myself know. I myself am a slightly skeptical, skeptical because of Matt Patricia. He always does this to us, and he screws us over. Uh, I, stu- I do think DeAndre Swift does well. I'm just saying, like in the back of my mind, I can't help but doubt Matt Patricia's actual thinking he always tends to do like the dumbest thing possible whenever it's clearly obvious that there's one thing that you should do and he always does the opposite um yeah i can agree with that i'm just i'm not saying he won't do well i think he will but you know it would not shock me if matt patricia just comes out and then uh next week adrian peterson gets 25 touches just because matt patricia feels like it you know i can get behind that i will say it's more on, I'm pretty sure Daryl Bevel is the uh, play caller for the, the Lions, and his main experience with running backs is Marshawn Lynch out in Seattle. So I, that's what we're hoping is that Swift becomes the workhorse. And Swift is also their main pass catcher. So if he's able to get 16 rushes like he did and multiple targets, that's a recipe for success. And with his schedule coming up, he has two, he has, I'm going to go and go through, uh, go through this while I have this looked up. He has Carolina, which is a top uh, is a bottom ten or bottom five run defense. Houston, bottom three. Chicago's a tough one. Green Bay, which is the second worst, and Tennessee, which is the sixth worst. That is golden. And if you can get if he hits on three of those four matchups, you're looking at a guy who's going to be an RB two the rest of the way at the very minimum, if not an RB one. And I know I called this a little earlier by uh, like a little earlier in the year by saying possible league winner and miles sanders is the guy and miles sanders is a guy that he reminds me of in terms of fantasy 
that's definitely happening. And uh, we'll go and go, move on right into the next one. And uh, let's talk about J.D. McKissick having ridiculous number, 15 targets as a running back. I mean, let's be honest here, right? Nobody was expecting 15 targets coming from J.D. McKissick, especially considering that they have a literal wide receiver in the backfield named Antonio Gibson. What are they thinking? I mean, okay, so here's here's what I, I will say about that. Um, it seems like Alex Smith throws can't throw the ball more than five yards. So McKissick is the guy that is going to be thrown to. Gibson obviously hasn't gotten much. And then you have guys like Cam Sims who runs a total of one-yard drags. So, like, that's Alex Smith's game because he can't throw the football more than 10 yards down the field. So with McKissick, he is – a veteran, he's a veteran running back who's a veteran pass catching running back. So they are going to use him a lot. And the reason I'll say Gibson's not getting some of these wide receiver looks or the receiving looks is because on third down, he does struggle with pass protection, just like a lot of rookies do. And especially him, he is coming from a place where he was not a running back at Memphis. He was a wide receiver and got some carries at running back and now is being used as a running back. So I don't think it's something to worry about with Gibson. He was getting almost all the rushes. As a matter of fact, he had 13 rushes for 45 yards, two rushing touchdowns. But McKissick didn't really eat into that. He had only six rush attempts and then had 15 targets. So it's basically a split. And if in games that they're competing with Alex Smith, both McKissick and Gibson could be plays that you're looking at, depending on the matchup, that could help you out. I'm lower on Gibson now because I know McKissick with Alex Smith is going to be used so much, but I think both of them could be used in, in, in pro matchups. All right. And then for the next one, we're going to talk about Duke Johnson and how we kind of think of him because Duke Johnson, he came into this game with a lot of hype, but he kind of disappointed and had no receiving work. Is this something we should worry about? Um, Here's, here's the deal. Historically, and I don't know why this is the case. I feel that Duke Johnson, uh, when healthy in his career, has been one of the more talented backs that just never seems to get volume. And I we have no clue why why nobody wants to give this man the football. Um, I, I think the pl- I think the man is just cursed. That's uh, literally the only way I can possibly explain this. Is it doesn't matter if he is given like a silver platter and he's given the easiest chance ever to just get a starting workload in a in a in a uh in a backfield it just never seems to work out for some reason um yeah so it is something i can i am concerned about going forward yeah it's something that like we saw this with chase edmonds like when the starter went down he's these receiving backs get almost no rushing or get no receiving volume. They just get the rushing volume that the starters got. We saw this with Chase Edmonds only got like, he only got two targets when Drake was out. And now Duke Johnson didn't get a single target when he was out on the field, although he's getting 90 to 95% of the running back opportunities. It just makes no sense to me. So he has a good matchup again. So I hope that changes, but I am a little concerned. Obviously you spent a little bit of fab on him. If you had him, but he's not someone, a guy that is a plug-and-play for me. He's somebody, it's depending on who your other options are. Right. No. And then the last one the last one I'll, I'll kind of cover in this little segment is um, actually a guy who 
me and Sag both will probably have on our waiver wire ads, and that is Salvin Ahmed running back out of the Miami Dolphins. So is this a fluke game, or what are, what are you thinking with this? Um, well, if we take a look at this, he is one of the few running backs with over a 70% opportunity share. Uh, he also uh, happened to take over the backfield because of injuries to Miles Gaskin and just the rest of the backfield just completely falling apart. He was handed the starting role and uh, didn't disappoint. He looked pretty decent in the game. He is definitely worth a waiver wire ad. Do I think he can do this going forward? There's a good chance. However, I do not think that it will be at quite 100% what we expect. He could probably provide a somewhat safe, consistent RB4 risky flex type play through the future, but he's definitely worth a bench ad just in case you need him. Yeah, and I, I will say this. I think when Gaskin comes back, it's Gaskin's job. He does have two more weeks or one more week, depending on how healthy he is, to uh, get back. So Salfan Ahmed, obviously Matt Breida was out in this game, but Matt Breida is probably going to take a backseat, in my opinion, to Ahmed. And Ahmed will probably have about 18 rushes in a game where they're going up against the Denver Broncos, who gave up 50 points to both Raiders running backs, that's insane. And I'm kind of excited about to see how he does. Obviously, I do expect Gaskin to take this job. But Ahmed is a guy that you could stream this week and probably have really good success with it. Right. Great great target for uh, those of you who went 0RB, as we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, you get uh, like a gift handed from the sky from you. Like It's just completely free. You just have to pick him up off the waiver wire this week, start him in your RB2 flex spot, and uh, hopefully with the great matchup that he is given, he should do well. Absolutely. And uh, we'll go ahead and move away from that segment. By the way, let, let us guys know what we should call that segment if we decide to do it in the future. I kind of just uh, came up with it on the top of my head. But let's talk about the Arizona game and that Hail Mary. Yes. This How is, in the world did Hopkins catch that? This is what I've been waiting for. But very important, before we get into this game, we want to mention the keyword for tonight's episode. Uh, again, the rules are simple. Every show we have a keyword. You comment that keyword in either of our posts. You get a shout out. Uh, we will be doing this for all of 2020. We may bring it back in 2021. We'd have no clue. As of right now, all of 2020, there will be keywords in every episode. And I'll let you choose the keyword for this episode. All right. And so um, I think now that we're on the topic of Hopkins, I, I think hmm, the keyword is going to be Bob. And the reason it is going to be Bob and it is because Bill O'Brien is the worst GM. In the like almost in the entire history of the NFL, how in the world do you make that trade? So, if you didn't hear, the keyword is Bob for Bill O'Brien. So, if you comment that, we will give you a shout out on on both of our pages. How in the world did Bill O'Brien make that deal? No clue, man. But I'm gonna be honest. I think you probably picked the absolute best keyword that was possible uh, in that situation, and. Um, yeah, for that, uh, shout out to you. Yes, sir. And let's talk about this game because... This game 
was DeAndre Hopkins. Crazy. This <laughs> game was down to the wire. It was down to the very last play, uh, the last 11 seconds of the game. The Bills uh, looked good. They played well in this game. Uh, one thing to note, though, is that somehow both of their starting running backs both suck, and they are pretty much borderline droppable, which is something I never thought I'd say from a coming from a team that normally is a run-heavy team. But here's here's the facts. Zach Moss had seven rushing attempts for 20 yards. Singletary had four rushing attempts for 15 yards. Josh Allen was the leading rusher last game. Seven rushes, 38 yards. Here's the facts. Josh Allen is the main passer of the football, and he's always competing for the number one rushing spot every single week. So if I have officially lost all hope in Bill's running back, so uh, if you are looking at these waiver wire options like Ahmed or Naheem Hines, etc., I, I have no problem with dropping Zach Moss or Devin Singletary to get them. Uh, they the these yeah, no. player, these players on the waiver wire have way more upside. Yeah, I could say that, and uh, especially with Zach Moss, uh, like Devin Singletary. I think Devin Singletary is the guy to drop out of the two um, because he just doesn't get touchdowns. Whenever they're in the goal line situation, it is either a Josh Allen run, Josh Allen to a tight end on a pass, or it's Zach Moss on the goal line. So Zach Moss does have touchdown upside, but Devin Singletary straight up doesn't have that. And also, Josh Allen doesn't check down ever. So, right. say Singletary has this quote-unquote receiving volume, but in reality, it's only two catches a game because Josh Allen just doesn't check down the football. Right, and the stats uh, receiving-wise for the running backs in this game, Zach Moss had one reception for a loss of three yards, and Devin Singletary had a reception for a loss of five yards. So, yeah. No, Josh Allen uh, is the QB that checks down the least. He's always just going to take off and run, which obviously reduces any passing game that comes with running backs, which, again, is super important, especially for running backs that are in committees that are not in super, apparently, as not a run-heavy team, which is nothing we expected to say this year. Um it removes all receiving upside and volume. And then again, uh, Zach Moss is the only one with touchdown upside. So yeah, for sure. Uh, if you keep one, I agree with you. Zach Moss is the one to keep. But Devin Singletary, man, is basically droppable at this point. I would much rather have Naheem Hines or Ahmed or really any waiver wire guys that I mentioned this week over Devin Singletary. The fact I mean, is, is I, that I, he has next to no upside anymore. I mean, heck, I would rather have Cole Beasley. Like, with if with John Brown's health in question, once again, Cole Beasley takes a lot of those targets that John Brown has and operates in the slot. He had a fantastic game, 11 receptions for 109 yards and a touchdown. He's getting all those targets and is really, I wouldn't say the check down, but he's the guy who Josh Allen goes to in situations where he needs a first down and not to the running back on a check down. He goes to his slot wide receiver and Cole Beasley. And Cole Beasley is a guy that needs to be added. He's at the 50% threshold. And he will be a wide receiver three moving forward with John Brown's health uncertain because he could be out for four to five weeks. If John Brown's out four to five weeks, Cole Beasley is a wide receiver three for four to five weeks and is going to get at least 10 targets in the in these games. Right, I agree. One thing that I think not a lot of people have mentioned is that Cole Beasley actually has done pretty well this season, even with John Brown healthy. 
Uh, Cole Beasley is being majorly slept on by the entire fantasy community, and I don't see the reason why we are. But yeah, I completely agree. He is worth at least a flex play week in and week out. He has been one of the more consistent and solid receivers to own. He no, nobody seems to appreciate the guy, and it's time to it's time to let everybody know, man, that this guy is actually pretty decent. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that, and uh, I will say this: um, going moving on to the Arizona side, uh, if there's a fantasy guy out there that doesn't have Kyler Murray in his top two every week or even at top one, if he doesn't have him top one on a good matchup and then top two on a bad matchup, they don't know what they're talking Kyler Murray is, like, next to Mahomes, and I would say arguably is the number one option over Mahomes, especially in a better matchup situation. Kyler Murray is the QB1 right now, and with his rushing upside and his ability to escape the pocket and get out and he's always looking to go on the run never checks down to chase Evans. never checks down to Kenyon drake like he's a guy who we we loved going in and then we saw where he was drafted and we were like uh fourth round are we sure about that fifth round are we sure about that so now we're in a situation where it's more than well worth it and we're starting to look at like we all we a lot of fantasy guys preach quarterbacks late but these quarterbacks in the middle of the draft like the Kyler Murray is now the QB one. Russell Wilson has been a top or top four QB. Dak was the number one QB before he got hurt. And then uh, Sean Watson has also had his solid games. Obviously, he didn't have a great game this week. But like, is it time that we start preaching more so these mid round quarterbacks that are actually being more of value than some of the later round quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees who haven't really performed as well as guys or as guys like Deshaun was the Dax the the Russell Wilsons right no actually I agree completely I think it is time to actually say that mid-round QBs are completely fine um you don't have to always draft QB late while I still recommend the practice uh mid-round QBs are not a terrible option uh the problem though is that with early round QBs where you're normally drafting them within one of your first three picks is that again you are giving up an elite option at one of the three positions that are a lot harder to replace than QB ever will be. So that's where my problem is with it. Is I it, instead of Mahomes or Lamar, I would have I could have got Kelsey, who I'd much rather have right now, or I could have got a elite wide receiver or a running back, which overall helps me a lot more than what Mahomes or Lamar Lamar would right now. And again, if after you have the core of your team done, like I've mentioned, which would be like a running back or two, two or three receivers, maybe a tight end. After that, I see nothing wrong with like, hey, you know what? Instead of grabbing a slightly better bench piece, why not just get a starting QB? If he doesn't work out, again, they're pretty replaceable. You can find them on the waiver wire anyway. What's the risk to it? You're not really sacrificing much in your starting lineup anyway. So again, it's not it's not a bad option. I still don't feel it's the best, but it's not terrible by any means. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and I'm just looking it up. The season totals: Kyler Murray's number one by thirty whole fantasy points. Then it is you know, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and then Josh Allen. So like obviously, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray were drafted two rounds behind, if not three behind, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. So you're looking at that and. Obviously, you look at quarterbacks in the third round, and if you are drafting it, thinking to yourself, I just got myself a secured quarterback. But in reality, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson 
were as safe as they were and are now doing better. So Right. Exactly. So the thing the, the thinking is simple. Do you want the safe, consistent, reliable Travis Kelsey who provides a almost a guaranteed positional advantage week in and week out and then take a shot on a on a good QB in the mid rounds, or do you want Mahomes? If you ask me, I would rather have Kelsey and then take a shot on uh, any of the mid round QBs. I don't really care who. Uh, I I just don't want to say who just because that way I'd look like I'm cherry picking it. But in reality, I would have took a shot on any of them. Yeah, and I will say this uh, back on the Cole Beasley thing. We he is so slept on. He is the wide receiver twenty one right yeah, now. Exactly. The wide receiver 21 in between guys, he's in between Amari Cooper and Julio Jones. Put that into perspective. So, like, Cole Beasley is a guy that you should be, obviously that's PPR, but we should be looking at as a guy who's at the 50% threshold. You should definitely go spend fab on him. And also, I cannot stress this enough, now is the time to go get your handcuffs. It's now the time to go get your Alexander Madisons, your Devontae Booker's, all these guys, the Mike Davis is if you're a CMC owner and you need him. Austin Scott's. Now is the time to go get him. Right, exactly. You, we can't stress this enough. Now, uh, one thing I do want to talk about the Cardinals, right, is the Cardinals are pretty much built completely around Kyler Murray. And mm-hmm. there's no reason why Kyler Murray can't succeed. Can't succeed. And honestly... I feel like he's done very well this season. He's currently the QB1. He scored the most points. Rest of season, he has to be your QB1. If any fantasy analyst comes at me and they're like, hey, you know what? Kyler Murray is not my QB1. I- I'm going to have a hard time actually trusting their credibility. Kyler Murray has the your safest... Top two, like, I would question their sanity. Yeah, no. Kyler Murray, uh, week in, week out, his floor is super high. I looked at the uh, at his game totals throughout the year so far, and if I remember correctly, his lowest point total was like 21.7. So his floor every week is that you're getting at least like a 21-point game, and he is the first QB to be on pace for 4,000 passing yards and over 1,000 rushing yards in a season. So back when we had Peyton Manning in 2013 where we had him going off for like 5,000 ish yards or more like 5,500 passing yards if you ask me it's way more impressive to have the 4,000 passing yards and the 1,000 rushing yards because the rushing yards are a lot harder to get uh than the 50 than say 5,500 passing yards this is the type of thing that we're seeing with Kyler Murray is in the Cardinals their rushing attack is not really their main focus their focus is we we get out four receivers three receivers and a tight end we have short routes and deep routes. We let Kyler Murray just throw to the open guy or run. And it's working out really well. Uh, the only problem that I see right now is that the Cardinals are very inconsistent and they can't seem to beat. Sometimes they lose against weak teams. And sometimes, again, like this week, they beat the Bills, who are a good team. Uh, that's something that they need to improve on. And I feel like they will have an even better record next year because they can probably fix those issues over the offseason. But... Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins are the real deal. They are some of the best players at their positions. Uh, I I would say Kyler Murray is QB1, and Hopkins is going to be wide receiver too. I still feel like Adams is insanely talented, and yep. we have seen that he just keeps putting up these massive games. 
and I see no reason for it to slow down. Yeah, for sure. And especially with the Hail Mary, uh, like that was insane. And I, I know that one of people a lot of weeks um, in fantasy. That was I feel arguably probably one of the best games. It's the best game this season, for sure. Yes. I feel so bad for a few people. Number one, any of the fantasy owners who lost because of the Hail Mary uh, to Hopkins or Kyler. And also the people who were um, who were down, right? I, I, I'm very happy that you had the Hail Mary last second and got easy four and six points, plus all the yardage that they got from the Hail Mary. That that one play in the last 11 seconds of the game shifted so many fantasy games, it was not funny. And uh, rest in peace to my boy Dave Portnoy from uh, Barstool Sports, man. I saw the TikTok video you made, man. He would, He bet on the Bills, and his man had hope till that play. And then it was over. And I, I'm just going to say that he is a legend. Um, but yeah, no. Unfortunately, you can't win them all. And that's the unfortunate part. Yeah, it, it's it's extremely unfortunate. Uh, it, is there anything else you want to mainly cover? Or do you want to head right into questions? I mean... Because we got a lot of them today. Yeah, um, that's pretty much all I wanted to mention about the Bills Cardinals game. Is yeah, I'll do a quick recap, real quick. Uh, Bang or Bills running backs are pretty much droppable. Uh, Kyler Murray's the best QB uh, rest of season. DeAndre Hopkins is a top two wide receiver, like almost every single week. It doesn't matter. Um, and overall, the Cardinals are only going to get better next year. They will fix any of the inconsistencies they have. And this game was. Probably one of the best games of the year. At least I would assume so. So, so yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think sure. I think that's a good idea. We can get into some questions. Um, I think what we should right. do is we should probably run through my three or four real quick. I have three questions, and I believe you have like eleven. We have a lot to get to, and then we'll get head on to our waiver pickups, and then we'll end the show. All right, sounds good. Let's All right. Get into it. All right, so first question, I'm going to give this one to you. How do you feel about Gurley rest of season? Uh, I am very critical of Todd Gurley. Uh, <laughs> he is just, he is very, very, we don't realize just how touchdown dependent he has actually been this year. And we kind of just, we kind of seem to like, like rub it off and it didn't really us too much but i mean let's let's put it this way he has he's been struggling in weeks where he just doesn't score a touchdown and he's his last stat lines are 19 for 53 uh 18 for 46 23 for 63 20 for 47 you're looking at a theme here you're looking at he's only averaging four yards a carry and it's only getting 20 rushing yards what's the difference between him and Kenyon drake except Kenyon Drake is actually averaging more yards per carry. It's just a matter of Todd Gurley has more touchdowns. So Todd Gurley has actually been touchdown dependent. And in reality, if you're looking at him in a sense of, it, it depends on how you view him. Like, are you like, are you avoiding the noise? Or are you looking at it in a more different way in the sense of like, if you're looking at Todd Gurley and you think he is a lot better than he is and you view him as a top five guy, that's just wrong, and that's not how you should view him. You should view him as 
an RB, like a high RB too, but he's very touchdown dependent. And you need to realize that if you can go get a guy like who will be more involved in his offense and can also have that touchdown upside, like a Miles Sanders, like a Nick Chubb, like even a Josh Jacobs, guys like that, I would try to go get the upgrade before it's too late on a guy like Gurley, who's very touchdown dependent and his the weeks he scores is going to win you weeks. But the wins he or the times he doesn't score, it is going to cost you big time. Right. No, I couldn't agree with you more on that. He's still a RB2 rest of season just simply because there's like nobody else in the RB position. It's been um, it's been hit really hard this year. But yes, I agree. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Gurley has nine rushing touchdowns on the year. And if he doesn't have those rushing touchdowns, what does he have? He has he does not have near as safe of a floor as most other running backs have around his range, simply because he's not super good and he hasn't been getting uh, pass catching work near as much as he used to in his career. And overall, uh, he's playing on a team where the offensive line isn't really helping him, and he really isn't helping himself too much either. Uh, let's just be honest. Todd Gurley is on the decline of his career. We, we aren't seeing the prime Todd Gurley that we saw with the Los Angeles Rams, and I think it's time we face that fact. And to be honest, if it wasn't for the touchdowns, he would probably wouldn't even be in consideration as maybe a risky flex play. But, you know, but as long as the touchdowns keep coming, he's a RB2. But like you, like you mentioned, completely agree. You should be trying to trade him away for pretty much whoever you can get uh, at the RB position. I think it does depend on who you're going for because I think if you're obviously like, not Jonathan Taylor though. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's not Taylor and like, if it's a guy like Drake, it's kind of like the same situation. So why would you really be doing that? Like in a sense like that, I just crunched the numbers because uh, Yahoo provides it. Um, he averages 3.6 yards per carry. That is not good. And, and he's, he's kind of struggling in terms of like, He's lost snaps a lot to Brian Hill, um, he to Brian Hill to Quadri Allison, um, guys like that. So the nine touchdowns helps, and that's the reason he's so high up on scoring numbers. But it's not necessarily we don't view him as how high he is because we know the touchdown regression could easily come and it could easily ruin what he has going for him right now in fantasy. All right. So we'll get on to another question real quick. Uh, I'll start off on this one. It is, would you trust James Robinson next year? So this is a pretty easy answer, but it's also kind of complicated, and I'll explain. So if as, if as things sit right now, with James Robinson playing the way he is, there is no reason not to trust James Robinson next year. The only reasons we wouldn't is due to what could or will happen during the off seasons. Um, do the Jaguars draft a running back? Possibly. Obviously, if the Jaguars bring in other running backs or su- is such like that, or decide, hey, we you know what, we're not gonna upgrade the offensive line. The off season matters a lot towards player values. So, but yeah, as things stand right now, there's no reason not to like James Robinson looking forward next year. There's no reason why James Robinson can't continue to have the starting role and continue to be a valuable uh, running back in fantasy. As long It's not like he is uh, somebody who isn't talented. I think he has proved that he is talented this season 
And one thing we got to remember is this guy's young and hit the prime of his career still hasn't hit yet. And that's just the facts. As long as the Jaguars actually try to improve the offensive line and not bring in other running backs and such, there's no reason to be concerned about his workload or his production heading into next season. Uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I am a little worried about him next year. And the reason I'll say that is because the coaching regime, quite honestly, could completely unfold. And here's the thing you're looking at. So with uh, with Doug Marone as a head coach, which I expect probably will be fired this year, as well as the offensive coordinator, Jay Gruden, he could also possibly be fired. If there's new personnel in that building, they're obviously going to have Chark involved, LaVisca Chenault involved. And it just depends on how, what the new offensive play caller wants to do and also what the personnel wants to do because we've seen it in Denver. Philip Lindsay was the same exact way Philip Lindsay finished as a top 10 running back fantasy the first year. And then obviously James Robinson, I feel, is better than Philip Lindsay was as a rookie. But in reality, running back, uh, the running back position is the most replaceable in football. If it isn't a guy like a Dalvin Cook, like a Zeke, who's guaranteed to take all that volume year in and year out, it's hard to trust James Robinson just because you don't know what's going to happen with the personnel. And that's where how I kind of look at it. Because if you look at it in a dynasty perspective, like I've kind of made trades. Like obviously I picked up James Robinson in a few dynasty leagues and then traded him because I just don't know what exactly is going to unfold in Jacksonville. Do I believe James Robinson's talented and I think he should be a starter? Absolutely, but anything could change. Like let's say, for example, the Jaguars decide they draft they draft Trevor and then they just decide hey, we need a new running back to go pair with it and goes and drafts Traps ETN. Now you're looking at a weird scenario. Where right, right. Uh, okay, so I'll just throw this out there. Kind of I'll just throw this out there. I don't disagree with you. Uh, I, I agree to a point is that, yes, uh, everything could change. The personnel could change. The QB could change. But again, as of right now, and this is kind of why I mentioned that it all depends on what happens during the offseason. Is, is as things sit right now, there's no reason to be worried about James Robinson. But yeah, like you mentioned, it there's there's always a chance that things change. Like I mentioned, if they decide uh, to just completely change direction and just draft new running backs and new everything or and change the entire team around, then yes, it's obviously less likely that James Robinson is the guy they want to roll with moving forward. But as of right now, there's no reason to be worried about him in my opinion. All right, and we'll get on to one more question, and this one I'll let you start off. All right, Sanders or Joe Mixon, rest of season? All right, so this is a great question, but uh, I personally think this answer is very clear, and for me, it is Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, I have in my top six rest of season rankings, because uh, CMC is now out. I have San- I had Sanders at seven, but with now CMC out for two to three weeks, is what we're looking at. I have Miles Sanders now at six. He has been taking a lot of running back opportunities. And this game was very unlucky in terms of the touchdowns. He had a touchdown called back on a penalty. He also had it basically was at the one yard line and they the one play Corey Clement had he'd scored. Um, and just obviously Carson Wentz has days where 
he can't find Miles Sanders somehow when he's two yards away. And it just doesn't make sense. The real the thing is Miles Sanders is the real deal. He's going to get a lot of that volume. And he has a, very, a relatively weak schedule for the run game as well. So if he's able to do that and what he did against Pittsburgh before he got injured, I, I truly believe Miles Sanders is going to be going to finish out big time. And if you have him and you've been holding on to him because he's been hurt, you're going to reap those benefits coming up soon. Right. No, I agree with that completely. And another thing that I that you haven't mentioned and is something that I think could also be thrown out there is a good reason why you should be definitely looking at Sanders' rest of season over Mixon is simply their backups. Uh, Boston Scott and Gio Bernard have both been given opportunities to take the starting jobs with uh, when these running backs have missed time, but Gio Bernard has actually been much more efficient and actually takes away way more work than Miles, or not Miles Sanders, than Boston Scott does to Miles Sanders, in my opinion. So overall, uh, Miles Sanders is just more of a workhorse in an arguably better offense. I'm not sure if it's better, but you can, you can make arguments. They're both kind of average, I guess. But yeah, overall. Uh, Miles Sanders is the much better play just due to the volume that he gets. Absolutely. And then we'll go and move on to uh, my questions. And we we have a lot to go through, so let's go ahead and go through them. The first one comes from the gorgeous bully who asks, is David Johnson droppable? You can start it off. Okay, so again, I've already mentioned earlier in the show that um, the Bills running backs are borderline droppable. I'm going to say kind of boldly, I know a lot will disagree with me, but I feel that David Johnson also is borderline droppable. Uh, he's injured. Sure, he'll come back before the season ends, but let's be honest with ourselves. Has he really performed super well anyway? Um, to Truth to be told, he hasn't. And is I know that uh, Duke Johnson has kind of slightly dis- disappointed this year. I'm just going to be honest. I don't really have a good reason to say that uh, David Johnson is uh, borderline droppable. I'm just gonna say it just for the uh, the just for the fact of being a little bold. So yes. Okay, uh, that's an interesting take. Um, I um, will say I'm trying um, to be very you interesting. Do you have an IR one. slot? And I agree with it. if you do have an IR slot and you don't have to drop him, I would. I would keep him. But like, here's the thing with David Johnson when he comes back. So we expect. He's on IR, so he's guaranteed out for two weeks. We we assume with just a concussion that he's going to be back and he's going to be fine. But in reality, he's not a guy that you really want to be starting. Uh, and he had a few rough games before he ended up getting hurt. I wouldn't say he's droppable, um, especially with how much draft capital you put in. But he's not really a guy that I'm too excited about come championship week. And it's just it's tough to see. I don't know exactly why you would um i don't know about dropping him but he's basically so he has detroit on the week 12 which is going to be an absolute like like top tier matchup for him and then he's going to have cincinnati the championship week other than that he has three really difficult matchups and those three i would not start him but week 12 if he's back i would start him and then week six the championship week versus Cincinnati I would actually start him so I wouldn't drop him but he if you do need the space I could see it but I'm not really wouldn't drop him all right next question 
Uh, if I can pull it up. All right. So next question is from Ethan.Glick, who asks, any teams, uh, team players that have an easy playoff schedule, what about ones with very hard schedules? And I'll go ahead and cover the more uh, – you can go ahead and start with the running backs that you find um, to have, have easy playoff schedules, obviously starting off with Derrick Henry. Right. So if when it comes to talking about playoff schedules and running backs, I have never once heard somebody uh, leave the conversation without mentioning – the man, Derrick Henry, and there's no good reason to not mention this man. Okay, so on my running back rest of season rankings post that I did about two weeks ago, on there was the week 14 through 16 strength of schedules, and some of the running backs that had good uh, favorable playoff schedules, I'll mention too. Derrick Henry has the easiest playoff schedule in weeks 14 through 16, and then the second is Aaron Jones. Uh, running back for the Green Bay Packers has the second easiest schedule. And, and to note some harder schedules is uh, Ezekiel Elliott actually has the hardest uh, rushing schedule for a running back. So does James Conner and Dalvin Cook. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, Dalvin Cook is at 27th and James Conner's at 30th. All of them are facing uh, a top or a, a bottom five or six defense throughout that uh, week 14 through 16 span. Yeah, and I'll go and talk about wide receivers because you went and go ahead and talked about running backs. Um, I think the guy or the the playoff schedules, not the playoff schedules, but the rest of the upcoming schedules that I'm avoiding the most is the Houston Texans. And I will say this, their upcoming schedule is New England, Denver, Indianapolis twice, Chicago, and Cincinnati. This just is not... All of them are like are in the the top half of run of pass defenses, and it's not really a matchup that I like. So Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, uh, guys I like a um, a playoff team that I do like is the Cincinnati Bengals, who have Dallas, Pittsburgh, and Houston to finish off, which are all bottom ten pass defenses. All right, and then just just a couple more things to mention. I forgot to slide over on my post. But yeah, a couple other good things to mention is Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon has a top 10 playoff schedule. David Montgomery, surprisingly, has a top 3 playoff schedule heading into the year. David Johnson, like like someone on the Texans, like you mentioned, 29th in playoff schedule. So he's going to be the third worst. He's going to have the third worst defensive playoff schedule. And then another guy that you actually mentioned earlier in the show, DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift and the Lions actually have a top five playoff schedule through weeks 14 through 16. So for a running back who seems to be uh, getting the workload, hopefully as long as Matt Patricia and uh, uh, Daryl Bevel don't screw this up, uh, DeAndre Swift could potentially be a league-winning running back and be like uh, Tim Hyatt. Tim Hightower from a few years ago. Yeah, um, I will say one more name, and I, that is Miles Gaskin slash Salvin Ahmed, depending on what Gaskin's health is. Because I look at the schedule and I see Week 12, New York Jets, Week 13, Cincinnati, Week 14, Kansas City, Week 15, New England, which is a little tougher one, and then Championship Week is Las Vegas, who has been very lenient to running backs. If you have Gaskin, it's worth holding because Gaskin – has that upside and also if you do have Gaskin pick up Salvin Ahmed because if you're 
I want to pair them up and especially I wouldn't call them handcuffs of each other, but Ahmed has the upside and Gaskin is the number one right now. So if you have that, both have friendly matchups and it's another name that I would point out as a, a one with a very easy playoff schedule. Um, so my next question comes from Mike uh, Mendez. He actually got the keyword last week who asked Jacoby Myers, Juju or T Higgins next week. All right. So right now, as I look at this, um, you said it was T Higgins, Jacoby Myers and uh, Chase Claypool, correct? Uh, Juju. Oh, Juju. Okay. My bad. So both Juju and T. Higgins had great matchups, or not really great matchups. They had great games this week. They both scored around 22 PPR fantasy points. I believe he actually asked me this question uh, last week before the game started. He said that most people told him Juju. I am like one of the few that told him to start T. Higgins. T. Higgins was on, still had a great game with 22 points, but was slightly behind on Juju. Uh, personally, myself, though, if we recently look at what Juju has done the last two to three weeks versus what he's done before those two to three weeks, is we have seen a massive improvement in the overall totals of fantasy points that uh, Juju Smith-Schuster has been putting up. Earlier in the season, in a, in a podcast that we made earlier in the NFL season, we were saying, hey, Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool look like the wide receivers who are actually outplaying Juju by a significant margin. Now, I still think that's kind of true, but however, you have to continue and look that the la that this week and the two weeks before, Juju Smith-Schuster has looked back uh, onto what we were hoping that he would be this year, and especially last season when he was drafted as a top-five receiver. So as of right now, I think I'm going to go with Juju. Um... However, I could change that opinion later in the week, and if I do, I will let you know. Yeah, so here's how I currently have it. T. Higgins goes up against the worst pass defense in Washington, or the best pass defense, sorry, in Washington. Um, so T. Higgins, for me, he's he has great upside, but it's not a great matchup. And for me, um, I would actually look to Juju, and the reason I would say Juju as of now is because they play Jacksonville, so... Um, he's not really going to get see shadow coverage of CJ Henderson. And with Juju, he has consistently been getting targets. And as a matter of fact, every single wide receiver in this group has been getting a lot of targets. As a matter of fact, it, it's actually James Conner who's taking the big hit uh, in this offense because they're just throwing the football more. I mean, Claypool had 10 targets. Juju had 13. Deontay Johnson had 11. All of these guys are getting involved. So I think all three of these guys are consistent wide receiver twos. It'll be two of them who will perform each week, in my opinion, and then one will take a step back. I think Juju is a guy, especially with Jacksonville slot corner being terrible, I think Juju's the guy for me this week. Right. Yeah. And we'll go ahead and move on into the next question. It comes from a 405 underscore Lilski who asks, is Rojo startable every week now? You can go and start it off. Uh, yeah, the, no, quick answer. The answer is no. Currently with Leonard Fournette healthy, he has been taking away the workload, or they both have really been taking away the workload from each other, which both limits their floor and their upside. And this is not an offense that is running the ball a crazy amount like the Cleveland Browns are. And currently both running backs in the Buccaneers offense are hard to trust. Right now they are both risky flex plays. So no, he's definitely not a safe start every week. 
Yeah, so I would basically have Rojo and Leonard Fournette as low wide receiver, or sorry, low RB twos, high wide receiver RB threes is how I would normally have it. Um, they take away from each other, and while Rojo had the better game, obviously with 192 rushing yards, I'm really going to see that again because if Fournette decides to play better, or Rojo decides, or Rojo has a worse game, in reality, it, it's going to be an even split, or Fournette's going to take more because Fournette dominated the snap counts for those other times so that's where i kind of look at it so i think he's still matchup dependent but he's definitely not a guy that i'm rolling out every week unless i have to all right next question goes uh, we kind of answered this earlier but it's from our boy eak who asked what to make of the steelers wide receivers i kind of touched on it but if you want to go ahead and talk about it a little bit yeah no we we just touched on it a little bit uh i agree with advocate here uh, all all the receivers tend to be seen to get a lot of work and like I mentioned earlier in the season like before I'd say probably before the bye week it, it seemed like uh, Juju Smith-Schuster has been kind of disappointing except for one game but yeah as of recently Juju Smith-Schuster has looked a little bit better to my surprise I didn't think he would uh, kind of show up a little more but yeah no all all three options are somewhat startable uh, depending on matchups, obviously, and which corners they play. But yeah, as long as the Steelers continue being a good team, continue to stay undefeated, and they play teams where, and they continue to play trash teams, um, there's no reason why they all can't succeed. Yeah, no, I c- completely agree with that. And so, like I kind of said earlier, I feel like all three wide receivers are t- mid to low tier wide receiver twos. Um, and then normally what I expect is two of them to perform pretty well and one of them to kind of take a back seat, depending on, I think most weeks it'll be Claypool. Sometimes you'll have Johnson due to injury and then Juju a little bit as well. But I think all of them will be ranked out when I do wide receiver rankings, all from like the 20 to 28 range for me. Um, and moving on to the next question um, from uh, Cruz. Uh, Bryson who asked, what do I do with Zeke? I'm kind of scared about him. All so, right. so I'll go ahead and start it off. Right, sorry. If you want. No, that's good. Go ahead. So with with Ezekiel Elliott, it's very frightening to see what's going on. If you have had your trade deadline, I would try to deal him, if I'm being honest. And um, what I would do is try to go get, like, a Miles Sanders, try to go get even, like, trade down scenario to a DeAndre Swift, depending on what you're doing with your team and what you – like, your needs on your team. Like, reality is – Zeke has not been getting fed as much, and his playoff schedule is probably arguably the worst in the league. So it's not something that I'm excited about. And if I if it were me, I would try to sell as high as possible. No, I agree with that completely, especially considering that there's really nothing to look forward to from this man in the playoffs, especially when I considered, or, or I didn't consider, I told you like maybe five minutes ago that Ezekiel has the hardest uh, playoff schedule for a fantasy running back, complete sell. If you uh, currently are just disappointed by him in general, there's no reason to hold on to him. Uh, I don't expect things to get better anymore. Earlier a few weeks ago, I'm like, you know, it's Ezekiel Elliott. He'll bounce back. He's never had a year where he's not a top five running back. I think this is the year, and it's, it's simply not, it's not really his fault. He's not really to blame for this. It's mainly this, the offense overall has just looked very bad and dysfunctional. But yeah, no, Ezekiel, it, it, he'll be back to good form next year, hopefully. And 
all will be good. But yeah, for this year, sell them for whatever you can. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, next question comes from T Weller thirty, who asks, "Start two out of these." Uh, so if, if you're ready for him, uh, AJ Brown, Devontae Parker, Christian Kirk, Chase Claypool, and Jacoby Myers. And I think I would personally go based on what I'm seeing right now is AJ Brown and Claypool. Um, I don't even see the question. Uh, T Weller thirty. It. Oh, okay. Yeah, start two out of AJ Brown, Parker, Kirk, Claypool, or Myers. What was your answer? Uh, I went AJ Brown and Claypool. Claypool has Jacksonville, and Deontay will uh, command the the cornerback one, and then AJ Brown has um. AJ Brown has Baltimore, but AJ Brown's not a guy you want to. Uh, he he definitely he had a bad game last week, but he had a seventy yard touchdown that he dropped. So it's not what you think right. with, with him. I would go AJ Brown and Claypool. Okay, so my opinion is slightly different. I believe AJ Brown is somebody uh, who easily has the most upside out of that list that you mentioned, and he is super talented. So uh, he's a guy that out of the list, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to bench this guy because we know that he has massive upside. He's good. He's normally played well. Last week was disappointing. I get it, but I, I don't see a I, – I can't think of a good reason why you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to bench A.J. Brown. I just don't see it. Um, I kind of agree with the Claypool one, but I kind of feel like um, Christian Kirk is meant, it could do something really well. Is The Cardinals' offense just looks way too good for me to just be like – to not start him. Uh, Christian Kirk is the wide receiver two on the Cardinals. He's looked good. Kyler Murray, like you, we've mentioned earlier in the show, has just looked way too good. Uh, he's on pace for the 4,000 passing yards. Multiple receiving options can be used in this offense, and Christian Kirk has been used uh, more recently. And that's just that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to say that A.J. Brown and Christian Kirk for upside. Okay. Uh, next question, uh, we'll go right down the list. It comes from Alex dot Van Levin. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Yes, Davis, AB, Deontay Johnson, Cooks, or Samuel at flex full PPR boost three points for a hundred yards. And I'll let you start it off on this one. All right. So Davis, AB. So I'm assuming Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson, uh, Brandon Cooks, Curtis Samuel. Who's Davis? Am I just not thinking correctly? Uh, Corey- Corey Davis. Oh, no. It's definitely not Corey Davis at all. Uh, A.B. could. He has lots of upside. I personally don't trust him uh, at all. Right now, I think the obvious answer is going to be Brandon Cooks. Uh, we're only starting one, correct? I think, I, I'm assuming, uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Works. You didn't specify in the question, but I'm assuming, assuming we're starting one. I think the easy answer is Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks has looked good. I currently just don't trust Corey Davis. Uh, Curtis Samuel is a deep, deep play, but you know, out of recent, out of the recency, Brandon Cooks has looked way better, and the Texans' offense has looked a lot better without Bill O'Brien. However, this last week didn't look too good. I feel like Cooks could bounce back. Yeah, and then like like you mentioned with the uh, last question, Deontay Johnson is likely going to be shadowed. 
uh, playing Jacksonville. So he is a kind of a sit this week. So yeah, fo- so for me, it was between Deontay Johnson or Brandon Cooks. Easy choice once you take Deontay Johnson out of the picture. I think Brandon Cooks is the play. For me, it comes down to Cooks and Deontay Johnson. And I, I do think that Deontay Johnson could will still have a decent game. I just don't think it's up to par because CJ Henderson has actually been locking down wide receivers pretty well. And uh, we just haven't really realized it. So I, I would go Cooks, um, but Deontay Johnson would be my number two in that scenario. All right. I, uh, I AB, AB, who knows? He might even get released. AB slander's coming soon, so be ready for that. But, yes, um, sir. <laughs> uh, so the next question comes from Greg Bear, who asks, keep Dobbins or Ingram rest of the season? Good question. So personally, myself, uh, I'm just going to assume that you are not actually starting either one of these players because they both haven't been very well played very well this year. So just based on upside alone and assuming the fact that he's likely on your bench and you're looking for league winning upside for me, JK Dobbins is the player to own rest of season. Uh, If you are actually looking for someone to start though, it's a lot closer, but again, probably a slight edge to JK Dobbins. I feel that JK Dobbins is the future running back. For Baltimore, Mark Ingram is, I believe, 30 plus years old. He's past his prime. He's not going to get better than what he is now, whereas J.K. Dobbins could get better. And J.K. Dobbins is a very talented running back. Currently, he's hampered a little bit by Lamar, uh, who uses his rushing ability, which takes away checkdowns, which means all the runs are going to have to come from strict running plays, and there's not going to be much passing game work. But, you know... If you're looking for like a type of play where if 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 uh, J.K. Dobbins breaks out of the backfield kind of like Swift did this week, looking at league winning upside, so I would go with Dobbins. Yeah, I I personally would go Dobbins as well. Dobbins he did better on the snap count, but didn't do good in the out touching. As a matter of fact, he was out touched by both Ingram and Edwards. Uh, Dobbins was still out there because. They actually, surprisingly, as a rookie, use him more in pass protection and in uh, running routes um, in this offense. So I think in a broad spectrum, they're going to want to use him. So I would keep Dobbins, but I don't see the league winning upside that I once did with him. And I I would go Dobbins. Ingram, if you need a standard option, I would only trust Mark Ingram in a standard league. Um, Dobbins would be the higher upside guy to stash. All right, and then we got two more questions. Um, next one comes from Jesus Sava, who asks, Hurst or Goddard for rest of season in a standard league? Also, Gesicki is available in waivers. Um. Okay, so for the first question, Hurst or Goddard, for me, even with Ertz coming back, I am a firm believer that Dallas Goddard is the better tight end to own in Philadelphia. So personally, myself, after seeing that Hurts kind of uh, Hurts kind of struggles a little bit and hasn't looked near as well as we expected at the beginning of the year, I feel that Goddard is the is both the safer play and the one with more upside rest of season. Um, here's here's the facts, right? Is d- at one point Dallas Goddard was injured, and Zachert still hasn't done well. And I just don't see the upside. I don't see how Zach Ertz is actually a good top five tight end anymore. So the tight end uh, spot for Philadelphia is completely up for grabs. So 
based on talent alone, I'm going on Goddard. Uh, some, Some people may think that's kind of bold, but I'm perfectly fine with that. That's my call is I think Goddard rest of season will do better than Hurst. Uh, Mike Gusecki, Mike Gusecki is also on your waiver wire. Um, personally, myself, Mike Gusecki is pretty good, but still, I'm just a believer in Goddard overall. Uh, I'm not sure if Advocate will say differently. We all know he's a Dolphins fan, so I'm kind of curious on what your opinion on this is. All right, so uh, the the way I view it is actually completely the opposite of how uh, how you have it. Okay, um, I actually have Hayden Hurst quite highly ranked. Um, and the reason why I'll say this is, although he got off to a really bad start, last few weeks, he so Minnesota, he had four targets and a touchdown. Week seven, he had seven targets. Week eight, he had seven targets as well. And eight targets in week nine, obviously, they had the bye this week. And those were against tougher matchups. So I think if you need a guy that's going to be consistent, he's going to get the targets. New Orleans, he's going up against New Orleans, and who is a bottom 10 in terms of tight ends. I think Hayden Hurst is a guy that I would trust more rest of season. He has some easier matchups. He has New Orleans twice. He has Los Angeles uh, Chargers, and he also has Tampa Bay. Um, I think in terms of rest of season, I trust Hurst because I know he's going to get a target share, uh, like a high target share. Uh, in comparison to Goddard, who has all those weapons out there on the field, and he's kind of struggled uh, a little bit. And then Ertz is coming back as well. I think it's just too clogged up. Or Goddard to really be a upside play in a in a rest of season format, and then in terms of Gesicki, I have Gesicki ranked second out of the bunch. Um, I have Hurst ranked higher, Gesicki ranked second, and then Goddard ranked third. Um, I would I like Gesicki. I like what I saw, but he's he got five targets. He gave up the tight end to Durham Smythe. I don't know if I can trust him yet because he just hasn't gotten the volume with Tua. Um, he didn't get t- he didn't get the volume with Fitzpatrick either. But with Preston Williams, we could see that volume come up. So I'm I'm willing to to gamble on Gesicki if he's on your waivers. I don't know if I trust Goddard that much, but I will say Hurst is one, Gesicki's two, and uh, Goddard's three. If you want a rebuttal, because I know you think completely different. Yeah, no, I think you have a good answer. I think it's pretty solid. But again, like the tight end position is just super shallow. Uh, None of the options, like again, outside the top five are super great. So if it's me, after seeing how Zach Ertz has played both with Dallas Goddard and without Dallas Goddard and just overall how the whole tight end situation has looked, it's just not looking good for Zach Ertz. And I feel like Dallas Goddard can take over the starting role. I, I still believe that he could do it, and that's my main reasoning for my main reasoning for picking him. Uh, it could be a little bit of bias, which I completely understand, is I've been high on uh, Dallas Goddard like all off season and in season. So it could just be that I trust Dallas Goddard too much, which is probably a flaw of mine. But I I get it. I get it completely. Yeah, and then the last question we have isn't really a question, but it's, uh, so basically it's, it's from our boy Penny Pucks uh, who asked, he doesn't ask, but he says Robert Woods and is basically, he kind of is like frustrated about Robert Woods. And while I do agree with this, I he does say, so Robert Woods, honestly, no one ever mentions him ever. I listen to multiple podcasts a week. Great real-life football player, but not a great fantasy asset, yet he is ranked top 30 overall every week. 
wish some people would uh, would have told me to deal him. Now, I will say this. Albert Woods has not been great, and he had a dream matchup this week and somehow failed. So did Cooper Cup. We have no idea how that happened, and Josh Reynolds out-targeted him. That made absolutely no sense. But Robert Woods is actually the wide receiver 20 this year, and uh, in PPR formats with the bye, um, so he's played one less game than some of the other competition. But Robert Woods, just the wide receiver group hasn't seem, seemed to be the greatest. In terms of how good they've like been overall, so I mean, so with Juju, he was the uh, he struggled early on in the year, but he's now the wide receiver seventeen, and Amari Cooper, who's now struggled as recently, is now the is the wide receiver fourteen. So this wide receiver group hasn't really performed well. So I wouldn't consider him outside of the top thirty with Robert Woods. I would put him in around the low twenty range, but he's definitely a guy that. I don't expect big numbers from as I once did. Right. No, just to get simply into it, I can I completely agree with you. Uh both both the running back and wide receiver positions have both hit been hit pretty hard with injuries, uh COVID, just overall the whole season in general has just been hit hard. Uh so overall we're just gonna see lower totals of fantasy points from most positions at certain spots. Obviously, there are bright spots like uh, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Adams, uh, players like that. Uh, but yeah, every everywhere else, it tends to, it seems to be a little weaker than years past. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. All right, that is it for my questions. That yeah, that is it for Mike. Well, uh, obviously, it's it for my questions. We did those first, so we'll get into a quick waiver wire list. Uh, I will not be getting into all 12 that I mentioned because, you know, I got to save some for tomorrow's post. But I'll just go over a few guys that I really like. So my number one waiver wire pickup for the week is going to be Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines looked good uh, against the uh, Titans this week on Thursday night. Um, overall, has scored over 20 fantasy points in this game. I don't see any reason uh, with the way Jonathan Taylor has been playing, that Nike Hines can at least some somehow establish at least a ten point floor if we're being lucky. Um, I think Nike Hines is a flex play heading into this week, so he's worth a pickup. Um, another guy I want to mention is Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is being heavily slept on for no good reason. This man is consistent. He's been solid every week of the season. And he's been quietly a top 20 wide receiver. And with John Brown out, there's no reason that he can't continue this pace or do better. And then, yeah, and I'll, I'll and go ahead and point out two guys if you want, or if you want to cover one more. I have one more. And then I'm just going to say, uh, I'll just remind everybody one more time. It's basically handcuffs. On my post, I put four must-own handcuffs for the season. If you cur- if you just... Uh, if you're looking at your waiver wire right now and you're like, hmm, who do I pick up? And you're just kind of debating and you don't have your handcuffs selected. Uh, if you have running backs, just look at the running backs and just select the ones that would, that if, if your starters were injured, would have the most upside. And then go get one or two of those on your team. That way, heading into the playoffs, your team is good and you don't have to worry about your star running back completely killing your chances of winning. 
for sure. And um, who is the ma- so you were you were just pointing out the major handcuffs is your third? Yeah, the, just major handcuffs right. is my third. All right, so I'm gonna point out three guys, and um, I'm gonna point out Wayne Gallman, who I, if he is available in your league, he's he's right at the fifty percent threshold. But it's worth picking him up. Devontae Freeman's out on IR for two more weeks. And Wayne Gallman took 60% of the snaps, had most of the running back opportunities. So if he's going to keep on having that role, I'm more than glad to keep him on um, uh, keep him on my rosters and then pick him up in the rosters that I don't have him. Moving on, uh, we have Sal- uh, Salvin Ahmed. We already touched on him a little bit. Um, and he's a guy who he has the handcuff value to Miles Gaskin when he comes back with that v- very weak schedule. And then I'm going to point out two more guys in particular. Michael Pittman, who's led the Colts and targets once again, and is having a really good campaign that's kind of being slept on with Phillip Rivers. And he's kind of been the slot wide receiver and has taken a lot of the targets. Uh, we, what some people expect out of T.Y. Hilton at cough counts or cough. Um, and then the last one I'm going to point out is Taysom Hill in an ESPN league at tight end. If he's available in your league and has the tight end ability to be played there, I would absolutely go pick him up because it's worth it. He was there on 20% of snaps when Jameis Winston was in the game. So that's where I would have, uh, and Taysom Hill could be immediately be a tight end one in ESPN leagues is that is where he has the tight end availability um, in Yahoo and sleeper. He does not have the tight end ability, but if, if you're in an ESPN league or another platform that somehow has him at tight end, I would absolutely pick him up. Right. This, this guy can be kind of like Jalen Samuels for like a couple uh, years ago where you can like get kind of like, a starting running well not really a starting running back this in this one but the example is you can get a start worthy player who could potentially see some work in the tight end position which we all know is not hard to break the top 10 threshold especially with the top score being only 13 points so why not uh take a shot if you have the bench spot have nobody else just yeah and you're in an espn league why not i see nothing wrong with taking a shot on that absolutely and then uh, the last thing we'll do before we go ahead and end off the show is we'll go into uh, two guys we want to slander for any particular reason, or if you want to make it non-fantasy football or NFL related, we can go ahead and do the same. So if you want to go ahead and start off with, I'll go and start off actually with uh, my main man Joshua Kelly. I I still can't seem to like this dude. Like, how in the world has he taken such a backseat when? We people legitimately thought he was a one-two punch, and I did at the beginning of the season before it even happened. But he has just gone out of his talent, and he is just not a good player. He's now behind Justin Jackson, Main Pope, Kalen Balaj, and Eckler. I'm not sure this dude has a roster spot in two years. He is that bad. Yeah, no, it's kind of surprising. I never thought that he would. Uh be playing so terribly uh hopefully his career is not completely ruined but you know the slander continues and there's no good reason to have any hope uh in him having any sort of a recovery Uh, that's pretty much all i can say to be honest all right and if you want to if you have any guys to slander you can go ahead and uh uh okay well i hate to do this but you know i'm gonna slander not not a player but a team uh my my green bay packers um and also the chicago bears tonight um shame on both of you 
So first off, the Jaguars are a terrible team this year. We were, based on the line, supposed to win big. And it it turned out to be a low-scoring, crappy four-point win. Um, That's not something we want to see when we're going up against Jake Luton and the injured Jaguars team. Uh, I don't know what happened, but you're, you're lucky that you weren't facing a good team or else we would have had a second type of deal that happened with the Buccaneers earlier this year. And honestly, that probably would have looked even worse. Uh, second, the Chicago Bears. Um, I know that being a Packers fan, I'm like supposed to hate you guys, but honestly, you guys aren't that bad. The only problem is that this week you decided, you know what, we aren't going to show up today, and I'm kind of disappointed. I really wanted you guys to beat the Vikings because I can't stand the Vikings. And... I now officially lost money in my NFL office pool this week because I picked you guys. Um, uh, That's basically all I wanted to say is shame on the Packers, shame on the Bears this week. I'm very disappointed in the both of you. Yeah, for sure. And um, I have one more piece of slandering, and uh, this isn't related to any any NFL. I'm just going to go ahead and slander... um, (laughs) <laughs> gonna go and slander one of my college classes because uh, why not um i don't know if any of you guys listening on the show have been uh, in a situation with a college class with a professor that's just um completely just not like sick and just doesn't know what he's doing so i have this professor who we were supposed to have like on campus everything and he got covid and now has another illness and has just not provided any work whatsoever. And I'm sitting there looking at my grade, and it just dropped 20 points, like or dropped 15 points to an 82, and I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. So, yes, yeah, slander to uh, my professor for that. Um, if anyone knows how to solve that, that would be absolutely fantastic because I have no idea what just happened. All right, and then just one more piece of slander. Um, I'm going to slander the podcast. Um because you know we're we're already we're already in deep uh one hour and 40 some minutes uh why not let's slander the podcast a little bit okay we are the best mediocre fantasy podcast in the world um to be to be honest i think we i think personally that we run a pretty decent show but again the the slander has to continue we are slander headquarters um, there's no reason to just not slander the podcast. Do you have anything to say about this? Um, I mean, yeah, let's go ahead and just slander the podcast while we're here. Uh, we <laughs> we <laughs> we operate on um, it's a, uh, right now it's three thirty a.m. on Monday nights or sorry Tuesday morning, matter of fact. So uh, slander to us for not getting sleep and. Uh, working um and talking about the podcast on you're you're operating on what a shake and i'm operating on a, a polar pop yep nope uh it was uh like two or three hours ago i went and got a chocolate shake and that's that's the only reason i'm awake right now yeah and uh this blue gatorade is coming in clutch uh, blue gatorade's coming in clutch and then the polar pop i had earlier uh, from circle k if y'all don't know about that uh fortunate that's a that's all over the country uh, the united states but it definitely comes in clutch when you're doing a podcast at 3 30 so slender the podcast we definitely need to do this uh earlier um <laughs> but 
<laughs> so that we don't lose our sanity at the end. Uh, we enjoy doing these. So if if you guys want to leave a review at all, feel free to do so. Um, we're obviously want to make improvements. We want to improve the podcast. So let us know if there's anything we can do to improve. And uh, make sure you put in the keyword for the week, which was Bob. If I'm not mistaken, I hope so. No, it was Bob. Um, <laughs> is that, that what it, that's what it was, right? Yeah, no, it's it's Bob. So yeah, use use a keyword Bob for a free shout out on both of our pages. And you know why we're doing this? No good reason. Uh, it's just more podcast slander. Um, yeah, no, we're just do it because we feel like it. So we're we're doing it because we want to encourage listening to the podcast and all that so we we definitely we appreciate you guys who are listening in and if you've made it this far shout out to you you are the real mvp um yeah it's not uh, it's not mahomes it's not wilson not murray it's it's you you're you're the mvp exactly and uh make sure you guys if you are on apple Podcasts or anything make sure you uh or or on like instagram dms send us what you think about the show We, we appreciate your feedback uh, obviously, we're only seven episodes in, and we're both broke, eight, <laughs> broke uh, nineteen <laughs> to twenty-five-year-olds. So, yeah. Well, that's gonna end the show. We'll just end it on that note. Okay. So, one quick shout out for the both of us. You can find me on Instagram at sacktech underscore fantasy football. You can also find me on Twitter at sacktech underscore ff. Um. And we'll go ahead with your socials. Um, and so my Instagram is at fantasy football advocate, and Instagram or sorry, Twitter is advocate fantasy. Um, I'm thinking about making a meme account, um, Jonathan Taylor Slander Headquarters. So if I if I do that, um, let me know if you guys will follow it. Um, okay, so here's the agreement: if you do that, you have to give me the login. Okay, so we'll just put we'll post Jonathan Taylor slander memes. Yes, uh, all all slander is allowed as long as it's directed to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, that's Joshua Kelly. Yeah, that is allowed too. Um, that's going to be the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you actually spent the hour and forty five minutes listening to this, um, I don't really have much to say other than you are the goat. It's not Brady, it's they, you. They get, a, they get an extra keyword. They get an extra keyword. They get a double shout out. Okay, okay. So the first one was Bob. MVP. The second one is MVP. I, I like that. So yeah, double shout out. Uh, if you get the first one, same deal, get a shout out. If you do MVP, I'm going to do something very special here at the very end of the season that i i'm not sure what i'm gonna do yet but it's gonna be the it's gonna be something really cool so stay tuned also uh we'll, we'll also incentivize something while we're here at an hour and 50 minutes if you leave a review on apple Podcasts on either of us uh i will hit you back with a follow on both instagram and twitter so um yeah no yeah for sure no uh, a screenshot is proof of a review and we will follow you on social media so all right <laughs> they've had to hear our rubbish for uh an hour and 50 minutes we'll go ahead and head off uh, we'll head off the segment for these boys the podcast slander continues and that's going to be all for this show see you right, next up, week boys. goodbye <laughs>